You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. A few years ago, a man sat in a metro station in Washington, D.C. and started to play a violin. He had positioned himself uh, against the wall beside a, beside a trash basket, and by most, by most measures, he was pretty nondescript. Uh, you know, a, a youngish white man in jeans, a long-sleeved t-shirt, a Washington Nationals baseball cap, and from a small case, he had removed his violin, and he actually put the open case at his feet, and he shrewdly threw in some dollar bills and some coins before he started playing, little seed money. It was a cold January morning. For the next 45 minutes, he played through six Bach pieces. I mean, during this time, it was a rush of people. Most people were trying to get to work, and it was calculated that thousands of people went through the station and passed him in those 45 minutes. This actually was filmed. You can watch it online. Three minutes into the video, three minutes into playing, a a middle-aged man noticed him and started, kind of slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds and then hurried on his way. A minute later, uh, The violinist got his first tip. It was a a lady threw a dollar in as she was walking. Didn't even stop to listen. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall, and then he looked at his watch and kept going. Honestly, the ones that paid him the most attention were the little kids. The video of the three-year-old boy who um, wants to stop and listen, and mom's pushing him along, and... Mom finally gets him past, and he still, like, keeps looking back. Happens a number of times. 45 minutes. In the 45 minutes that he played, only six people stopped and stayed for a little bit. About 20 gave him money. He collected When he finished playing and silence again took over in that corner of the subway, no one noticed it, no one applauded, there wasn't any recognition. But really it was probably because no one knew that the violinist was named Josh Bell, one of the foremost violinists in the world. The violin that he had pulled out of that case was a Stradivarius worth $3.5 million dollars. Actually, Josh, just two days before, had been in Boston, played in a theater that was sold out where the seats averaged $100. I want to talk about an aspect of this journey with Jesus that gets overlooked and undervalued so much. The premise of this series is we're called centrally to who we are, to live on a journey with God himself. I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what your hopes are. I don't know what your expectations for your life is and and your accomplishments and what you're setting out to, but I can very emphatically, clearly, and with full confidence say that I do know what God intended for you first and foremost. 
That was to live in relationship with him and walk through your days with him. We've kind of started this year thinking about that. The scriptures talk about a walk with God. This is the design and purposes of God for our life. This whole thing is not just a little random or go to church every once in a while, kind of know the truth of Jesus, be thankful that, man, I think there's a, a way to be saved, and if I leave this life, maybe I can, you know, like, no, really, the purpose of God, the story of Scripture is God's desire to walk with his creation, each and every one of us. You know, we've been looking at, at uh, one of those guys that figured this out pretty well, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he talks about this in his writings in the scriptures and kind of gives us a little insight to what it looked like for him to journey with God. Philippians chapter 3 is a little bit of an autobiography of Paul's life. And, you know, honest, like we're always looking for best practices. And if somebody's figured out something that we want to do, we kind of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay attention. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to do for us is... As he talked about his own life, it becomes a template, a blueprint for our lives. This is what look, journeying with Christ looks like. We've looked at three verses every week, six phrases. Uh, one thing I do, don't miss the journey. The one thing, don't miss the journey. Forgetting what is behind. Journeying with Jesus calls us to uh, leave behind our past. Really hard to stay on journey when you're still looking back. Looking forward to what is ahead. Keeping forward momentum is what Paul said. That this journey with Jesus is a fresh new walk. That's looking ahead. That's walking into each and every day and season of our life. And We talked about the practices that keep us going with forward momentum. Last week Brad talked about that one of the aspects of journeying with Christ calls us to, to live into this phrase of, I've not attained and I haven't arrived yet. And it calls for a humility, a recognition that we don't have this figured out and that the journey is always one of learning and growing and developing in Jesus and keeping that posture, that attitude that you haven't seen all you need to see. You haven't done all you need to do. You haven't experienced all that God has for you. And so we, 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 we humbly approach every day like, Lord, what do you have today? What do you want in my life today? So today I want to look at another phrase. I want us to read these three verses and catch these six phrases that are in it. Philippians chapter 3 says, Not that I've already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want us to grab those two times that he says the word press on. Press on carries with it this idea from its Definition from its Greek etymology of to pursue, to follow eagerly. In fact, it's used in other places of Scripture when it talks about to harass. It's that kind of mindset. To press on is to be unrelenting in nature, even maybe a little annoying. You ever have those people in your life? 
Come on. Yeah. The, the, the press on people, right? These, that's this idea. It's, it's this. It's first person, singular present, indicative verb form of the verb to pursue. Got it? Yeah. All right. In other words, it denotes continuous action. It's consistent and it's actively pursuing. As I thought about Paul saying, listen, a part of my journey is this pressing on mentality. I began to, to again realize how foundational this is about what God wants to do in our life. It's all through the story of God with man. It's especially true in the it's woven through the fabric of the New Testament is seeing the purpose of God in our lives is to create this constant, enduring kind of attitude. Actually, there's a really interesting little snapshot in the Old Testament. I, I want you to think about Jeremiah chapter 48. How many of you have been in Jeremiah this week? That's what I thought. Oh, okay. Dean, go to the head of the class. Normally, don't spend a lot of time in Jeremiah 48. You're like, I have no idea what you're going to say. Jeremiah 48 is, is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah and, and saying, listen, you know, the people around you, he would, he would um, talk about what they were seeing, experiencing, and like that country Moab, it's south and east of Jerusalem, and they have been a thorn in your flesh, and, and I see that, and they have wickedly acted against you, and God is using the prophet to say, I'm going to pronounce judgment on them, Israel. I want you to know that I'm faithful, and that I'm a God of right and wrong, and they have wrongly uh, treated you, and I'm going to do something about but he goes on to have this commentary about Moab. Uh, now, Moab, actually, in the judgment, God said there, would be no, there, was not there was not going to be allowed to have any Moabite in the house of Israel. I mean, it was pretty strong. Uh, there's one exception. Do you know the exception? Ruth. Ruth the Moabite in this gracious picture of God. But as a country, God was over them. And one of the reasons he was over them, he gives us a picture of this in verse 11 of chapter 48. He says this, Moab has been at rest or at ease from youth. Like wine left on its dredges, not poured from one jar to another. She's not gone into exile. And so she tastes as she did and her aroma, she smells unchanged. It's stale. He's like, Moab is ungodly, she's unregenerate, she dissipated, and you know why? Because Moab has been soft their whole life. They've never had any problems. They have been at ease since youth. And God is saying, listen, that actually a life without problems produces a very weak character. He uses this analogy of wine then. He uses words like lees or it's the dregs uh, to help us understand what he's trying to say. He says, they have not been emptied from one jar to another. What is he talking about? It's a picture of winemaking. I want us to take a minute to understand and think about how that's done. Um, I'm telling you by way of study, not experience. All right, don't have a distillery in my home. But as I was reading through this, I began to realize that the this, this series of winemaking, especially in that day, was you had a series of wine skins. 
And you would start with that, that, that fresh juice from the grape and you'd squeeze it in there and you know, get it in there till it became a juice. And you would let it sit there for a little while. And as it sat there, the sediment in that juice would kind of filter to the bottom. And then you'd take it and pour it into another one. And you'd let the same thing happen. It was this process of being poured from jar into jar. And what was happening while it was being poured was the sediment was falling out of the juice. Until that last time you poured it in, you let it sit for a little while, it fermented. And then you poured it out and it was this pure wine. Sweet. Full. That's what it took to get to that point. Jar to jar. In fact, you know what happened? The sediment they saved. The sediment actually was then what produced vinegar. Bitterness. Anybody for a cup of vinegar right now? Right? The wine had a sweet fragrance and a sweet taste because it had been poured out from vessel to vessel. In each case, the pouring allowed the bitterness to fall out and settle in the bottom. God said, this is what I got against Moab. They're just, they have no character because they've never faced any adversity. Like, actually in this world, as I'm redeeming you, an important quality to have is the ability to grow from adversity, and they never have. The New Testament can't get away from this idea, and it's foundationally found in this word. Hupomone. All right, let's try this. One, two, three. Hupomone. Let's say it again. Hupomone. Hupomone. People were mispronouncing after first service all over the place. Hupomone comes from these two words, hupo to uh, or mone, meno, to remain under. And the preposition hupa is to, means to, to be under. It's to remain under. All throughout the New Testament, the purpose of God in our life is to create this hupomone. This hupomone is the spirit which remains under adversity or trial in a God-honoring way so that it learns the lessons that those trials are sent to teach. And it's this kind of posture instead of an attempt to get out or around the adversity that we face. This word carries with it even this idea. It's not just the patience which sits down and accepts, you know, this is what it is. This stinks. It's actually, oh, this stinks, but I'm going to figure out what I can learn in this, how I can grow from this. That's the spirit of this word. It's not a, you know, a romantic thing where we gives wings to fly over the hard places. It's a determination, unhurrying and undelayed, which goes steadily on and refuse to be deflected. It's in these words, steadfastness, constancy. And maybe you recognize this word in scripture, endurance or perseverance. Let's, let's walk through this for a minute, right? Romans chapter 15. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Okay, I got it. The word was meant to teach us. So that through the what? Hupomone. 
so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. What happens when you encounter and develop endurance? You have hope. Let's think about what the writer to Hebrews said, the people who were really struggling, right? He said, don't throw away your confidence. If you don't throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. If you don't quit, there's reward. You need to hupomone. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. This is all over the place. Just do a basic word study, and you'll see it over and over and over. Now, Jesus didn't use this word, but he captures this word in the only way he can. Bluntly, he says this, No man who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom is not full of quitters. It's people that keep going forward, that endure. It's really, hupomone could be this way. Don't give up, don't give in, don't opt out. Our world is full of lies about adversity, right? Like we we have this tendency to think that if we face hardship, then something's wrong with us. We did something wrong, which sometimes is true. Amen, I can relate to that. But that like it's just the end of the world. And that actually the good life is only the life that avoids adversity. Have you heard that? Do you see that? Do you see people pursuing anything that just can get them away from a hard time? Convenience, comfort is the, is the premium quality we need to have. The scriptures say something different, though. The scriptures would say this. I should know that adversity is normal. It can be expected. It becomes purposeful. It is powerful and it is temporary. I mean, think about every worthwhile book or movie that you watch and enjoy. There's always some adversity, isn't it? It's not a good story if there's not adversity. Even in those Hallmark movies, there's some adversity. I mean, it's like, what do we do with the Christmas tree adversity? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of you hate me now. But really, I mean, think about it. Any good story that's told, any movie that's probably been impactful, there was adversity to be faced. (laughs) It's what causes us to, to be inspired, challenged, and motivated because this world, broken and fallen, will always have adversity. It just will. Until you see Jesus, you're going to face adversity. What do we do about it? How do we respond to it? I mean, think about it. I'm a basketball guy. If a game's close and it's the end of the game, what is the losing team going to do? They're going to foul, aren't they? They're going to foul because they're going to make you earn it. They're going to make you go through some adversity. Trials are inevitable. It's human nature to avoid the things that we don't like. But honestly, it's not how were we created to develop and grow. I've learned this really powerfully in being a parent. Amen? I wanted to, especially with my first one, I wanted them to try to avoid all the pain they could avoid. And so I would rush in 
I would say something. Maybe not a lot, because I was raised pretty well. But I had that temptation, that inclination. Right? And we, we joke about helicopter parents, right? We do everything. And then you realize, whoa, that's not the best thing for them. Best thing is that they can face the consequences of a bad decision. The best thing is that they learn that lesson right then in sixth grade on that paper and that test. If they learn it then, maybe they'll learn the lesson that causes them to not be incarcerated or make a huge decision, right? The pain is a great teacher. The consequence is like, whoa. Um, I learned this with our bodies. Like Keegan is six years old in kindergarten, goes into the hospital over Christmas, was in there two weeks, days in ICU, really thought he was going to die. Both Nicole and I, the doctors, were like, we're doing everything, emergency surgery, not getting better, you know, and it was just terrible. It was one of those crises of your life you never forget. I still can revisit those emotions and the just terrible. We come through that. He makes a turnaround. It's amazing how God helped him. And, and uh, we do a, a, you know, a visit with the doctor afterwards. And he just looks at me and says, you know, I can't explain this except for it just must have been some random virus. So as a good dad, now I am responsible for making sure that my son gets no random viruses. That's impossible. I sure took it on for a year or two. My kids still, we laugh about it. You remember when dad was such a germ freak? We do, we laugh about it. I mean, we go in a restaurant. I had done all the research. Restaurants are really, enjoy your lunch. <laughs> the restaurants have a lot of germs. I'll just tell you, like, that's what the data all says. And so we'd go in a restaurant. And I'd be like, don't touch it, don't touch it. Don't. You know, I'd be like grabbing everything off the table and just... It's terrible. Then I begin to realize the reality is my kids and our bodies have to interact with germs. It's the only way. It's the only way to build your immune system. The more I protected my kids, the less strong their immune system was, the more they were candidate for even worse illnesses. That's what medical science tells us. You've got to interact with germs. It was a hard lesson, but I'm learning it. What's amazing is the kid's healthy as a horse since then. Crazy. It's what James was trying to tell us. Consider it. Now remember, this is James, brother of Jesus, pastor of Jerusalem for 30 years. Jerusalem was like, they tried to start a church <laughs> in the epicenter of the Jewish faith. Not an easy task. It's like us... Christians trying to go to Mecca and start a church. Not easy, right? This church faced persecution. I mean, it was so bad that its members, if they knew they went to that church, they would not employ them. They would treat them unfairly in an economic situation. It's why Paul, on his missionary journeys, would repeatedly ask for people to help the church in Jerusalem because they were just devastated, persecuted, tough. Tough. And Jesus, or John, or James, some J, that guy, not Jerome, but you know, James. James, brother of Jesus, pastor of the church, would say this in his letter 
Consider it, and that word is evaluate. Reframe how you see the world. Reframe what you go through. Consider it pure joy. Now, I have learned how to reframe, but I'm still struggling with pure joy. I'm not like, yes, Lord, I love this adversity. Give me more. I'm not there yet. But I do intellectually realize that honestly, it does give me a lot of satisfaction that when I look back at the adversity in my life, the greatest growth and character development I ever had was in those times. So it's obvious something's going on with our walk with the Lord. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, oh, there's that word again, hupomone. And what does hupomone do? Hupomone finishes its work so that you become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jerry Kingsley would say this, in a mysterious way, our troubles allow us to discover and develop reservoirs of strength and perseverance that most of us don't realize we have. When we lean on the Lord, he actually uses our struggles to expand our ability to deal with them. It's a process that leads us to greater hope and greater faith. It's like this, endurance happens when we stop being paralyzed by the why and we lean into what do I do about it. People who endure aren't as interested in why, but in what. And God wants to move us into this place where we persist, endure, persevere with him. We don't give up, give in, or opt out. We're not getting off the trail to sit down and have a pity party or be distracted, right? Like, that's what he's calling us to. That's what he desires in our life. This is woven through scripture. He wants people who endure, who endure. In fact, he promises the Galatians, don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap if you what? You faint not. You don't give up, you don't give in, you don't opt out. You know, I was thinking about, you know, some of the greatest breakthroughs come on the other side of persevering through trials and circumstances. We've talked about that some of this journey with Jesus, I, I've used the idea, or I've used the experiences of us hiking, and I remember hiking in Bryce Canyon last fall, and we went down the Navajo Loop Trail, and so, you know, when you go in a canyon, you're going down, so you got to do what? You got to come back up, and normally that's, we went down gradually, and we walked around the canyon for a while, it was really beautiful, and then we faced this. I know that doesn't look like much. That's one of our pictures. That's a, that's a whole lot more. That's about halfway up. This, this is just switchbacks. 500 feet and not very far of a distance. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, like, that's the way it is sometimes. Sometimes your journey is gradual out through a, from a valley. Sometimes it's steep. But I can promise you that as beautiful as 
it was down in the valley, there's really not anything that looks like this when you get to the top, right? And that they just can't stop. You just have to keep going. We had to stop a few times. That was fine. But we didn't just mail it in to call the park service. Come down with a horse or something and get us. Right? It's the only way. And what happens when you're willing to continue to persevere is just unbelievable beauty and wonder and accomplishment. I was thinking about it. I got time to tell this story just for a minute, but the 1600s, England, uh, its time as a republic came to an end. It became a return to a monarch under Charles II. And with Charles II coming into um, that position, uh, religious freedom ended and the Anglican church was the state church again. And in order to conduct services in, the, in England, um, you had to have a license. And it was all having to do with the Church of England. And under these laws, John Bunyan was arrested for preaching without a license. He was, had some growing popularity as a preacher, and it prompted the judge to try to go easy on him because he knew people would be upset. And he promised that Bunyan would be released immediately if he only promised not to preach. To which John Bunyan replied, if you release me today, I shall preach tomorrow. This persistent, persevering to the call of God on his life. Three times in his life, Bunyan was arrested, convicted, and jailed for preaching the gospel without a license. In the end, he spent 12 years in prison. At any time during those years, he could have secured his freedom by simply promising not to preach. But Bunyan knew God's call on his life, and he refused to compromise. And yet, in his suffering and in the trial, the 12 years in prison, he wrote a little book some of us are familiar with, Pilgrim's Progress. That doesn't happen unless he faces the adversity. And in the adversity, he doesn't just whine and, and give up in prison. God uses his adversity to impact millions of people for Christ later on. What a story. You see, that's what God is trying to do in our life. And what he is wanting us to know is this. The only person God cannot help is the one who gives up. That's it. If you're willing to walk with him, I don't care if it's an inch or two, he's promised to be with you. But in this cooperating relationship, where as a faithful preacher of the scriptures, I've tried to be over and over tell you that this relationship with God comes through the indwelling spirit, where he empowers you, he strengthens you, he gives you the right but the one thing he cannot do is choose for you. You must choose to stay on the journey and to not quit. Don't quit. Don't give in. 
and don't opt out. Jesus said, well done, good, and faithful. And I want to remind you today that adversity, you're not going to get away from it. You might as well walk through it with the Lord Jesus. And you might as well figure out that what he does with adversity is incredible. It creates in you a depth, a depth of character, of spiritual life, of personhood that truly learns how to love God and love one another. If you don't quit, if you don't give up, if you don't give in, if you don't opt out. I just want to finish in this personal moment to me. My my mom, the day I left for college, uh, she called me over to the side. You know those moments? I haven't got to that moment, but I know some of those moments. And it was obviously, I'm sure she cried a little bit, but knowing my mom, it was, this was very intentional, very meaningful. She knew I was leaving that day and, and it wasn't ever going to be the same. It's just not, right? I was going out into the world, and my mom wanted very intentionally to give something to me. She handed me a plaque, a picture, a fr- a, and on it was a poem that she wanted me to always remember. I'm going to cry. I want to read that poem to you today because it's, it's essentially what she was trying to tell me what, what God wants to do. It's that poem by Edgar Guest. Don't quit. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have a sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And when you never can tell how close you are, it may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. I'm so grateful to my mom for teaching me something the scriptures. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't opt out. If you're willing, God's always willing to help you. Would you stand this morning? I just want to pray over us as we go.
I don't know where you're at today. If you're like me, there's times when you're tempted to quit, right? Get so jaded in our perspective that we don't consider it pure joy when we go through adversity. We just, what's wrong? What have I done? Why is life like this? And I just want to remind you that in journey with Jesus, he always will use even our adversity for our good. He always promises to walk through it with us. He always will bring us through it. He just has to have people who, even though he gives power and strength and grace, they have to at least choose to not quit. And my prayer for us today is that this room is full of people who would say, I choose to hoopomone. I'm not going to quit. I might go an inch tomorrow or the next year, but I'm not quitting. Because the only person God can't help is the one who quits. Let's pray. Father, do something in us today. Continue to remind us. I'm so grateful for people along the way who have reminded me of this, have shown me this, who have modeled this. Some people have walked through the most severe of circumstances, difficult things, should have mailed it in a long time ago, but they didn't. They stuck with you. And now their lives are just such a bright, shining example of your grace and goodness and faithfulness. Lord, create that grit within us, that enduring spirit, that hupomone, that adversity, although I don't enjoy it, I should expect it, and actually it becomes purposeful with God. And not only will he bring me through it, but he'll do something in me while we go through it. I just can't quit. Lord, may that be our spirit. May, it be that, may that be our commitment, I pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with this, would you say amen? amen. Have a great week. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.